Blog Talk Radio. Aloha. Welcome to Talking Pictures. It is 10 a.m. here in wonderfully beautiful, sunny Southern California. But it might as well be 2 a.m. in Memphis or 3 a.m. in Chicago or even 4 a.m. in Austin. I can smell, taste, hear, feel the film that we are going to discuss today with the director, I'm sorry, John Anderson. Today is so awesome because we are going to be talking about the film Horn from the Heart, the Paul Butterfield story, Paul Butterfield Blues Band. Man, I'm just getting overtaken here. Where's the catfish? I don't drink anymore, but I wish I would have gotten myself some whiskey. Only good news here is is we're gonna get we're gonna dive into the blues and I'm not gonna have a hangover tomorrow. Man, I am so beyond excited here that we get to cover this documentary, Paul Butterfield. For you uh, blues fans, you know that the Butterfield Blues Band is so significant. You know Butterfield is in countless documentaries talking. Uh, for those of you that don't know who he is. Uh, before we bring our, before we introduce our guest, Paul Butterfield, one of the easiest ways you can access him right now, uh, that is for those of you who aren't completely into or obsessed with the blues, Martin Scorsese's The Last Waltz, he performs with uh, Muddy Waters, uh, one of Muddy's last performances. Now, today, as I was saying, it's, it's 10 a.m. in California, but I can smell this film and we are so excited here. I have the director online, but I I wanted to say that this is a really important documentary. I I really want people to come out and see this, not just for what we're going to talk about the entertainment value or the good music, but we will get into the history and this is just, I'm beyond happy to be here. I'm having to like, put clips on myself to pinch my skin so I don't uh, babble like a fool. So with that, I will introduce John, and I guess I have a call coming in from New York. Is that, uh, is that Sarah? Or, is, or do I have John? Sandra, that Welcome. might be Sandra, yes. Oh, Sandra, sorry. Okay, I'll pull, I'll pull her in one second. Aloha, uh, are you with us, Sandra? Yes, I am. It's Sandy. Hi, how are you? Oh, Sandy. Okay, welcome, Sandy. First of all, Thanks you guys so much. I have been counting down, spending all of the day, I believe in enjoying the moment, but I have constantly been thinking there's a Paul Butterfield blues movie coming up <laughs> Friday. You, you, I have to be thankful for where I'm at right now, but I want to be in the theater already watching it. So our show extends such a thank you for coming on, especially with the short notice. We thank Newport and Corey for this. Okay, so I was just giving a brief intro to the, uh, the our audience that, of course, as you guys know, obviously one probably one of the reasons you made the film was we live in a sad time now where people will say Paul Butterfield who or Michael Bloomfield who. So we're going to pretense this with none of this is out of being music snobs. This is obviously the love of the blues. So let's start with, and whichever one of you would like to start, uh, we, we uh, us Butterfield fans know why, but for those that don't know, why Butterfield, why now? 
Sandy. I'll let you start, go John. <laughs> you go. <laughs> okay, well, he was a, a phenomenon, uh, Paul, as, as you know. He was a whirlwind of talent and influence. And uh, I'm not just talking about drawing the crowds into concert halls all over the country. I'm talking about his influence on other musicians, his influence on other blues musicians, on other rock musicians, the way he took that hard rock edge and added it to the authentic Chicago blues really got a lot of people interested and excited about the blues again. So the genre, you know, the genre was a great debt to him. And for me, he was the bridge between folk music and electric rock and roll. I started out in the 60s as a real folky and, you know, acoustic everything, and then uh, heard a Butterfield track on an early Electra sampler of folk music. And um, that time, I guess, I was listening to people like Pat Sky and the very early Donovan, maybe. Maybe that was a little later. Greenbrier Boys, maybe Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee. And there Ooh. was the Butterfield band that just was mind-blowing and um, exciting and rough and loud. And I just, you know, became, fell in love and followed them and, Went to see them frequently at the Cafe of oh. on Bleecker Street Sorry. in uh, yeah. New York City. So that's sort wow. of the beginning of my story. I'm beyond jealous that you saw them. <laughs> this, is, this is one of those, like, you know how people will say, you know, Jimi Hendrix, or they'll say The Doors, or, and a side note for many of you out there, uh, of course, the Doors' most known song, Break On Through. Uh, there's a great little documentary where they talk about how they took it from uh, Butterfield Blues Band's Shake Your Money Maker. And if you really break that sound, dong, break that. My God, I'm flipping words around here. I'm so excited. <laughs> My gosh, you <laughs> guys, you're, you're making saying. me sound like the worst host on the planet. Um, okay, so <laughs> you, you guys come from, I, I never asked Gage, but you guys got to see them. You're one that's new. I'll just briefly say I discovered Paul Butterfield Blues Band in 2003 when a friend of mine who is 68, who was a DJ, said, you got to hear this. And then when he handed me East West, I don't remember life before East West. Now, to give the audience the context, we're looking at their first uh, album is released in October 65. And the second one is uh, East West is 1966. Today, of course, we're going to leave out that that's uh, Vietnam time, that's uh, all the political stuff, but that hard edge you were talking about, obviously derivative of the time, and then something that I would love to hear how you guys uh, examine uh, Butterfield, like you said, a phenomenon was that, as I mentioned in the review, for those of you that missed it, these were and I can't stand labels, but these were white kids hanging out in the parts of Chicago that you don't even walk down. And they learned this music from Muddy and the Wolf and Little Walter. Or no, sorry, put their spin on it. So what was it like for you guys to come at this decades later, having seen and been a part of it? Not like you just got turned on to it. Like, how did you stay objective as documentarians without just saying, oh, I'm going to just spend all my time on this, this part of Butterfield? Well, Sandy, we just read it through the eyes of our participants, Paul. Uh, you know, everyone we asked to interview said yes, and to see them light up with that first-person excitement of remembering what Paul was like and what he played like, you know, that's what kept us going. It's what kept the flame 
alive and what kept it fresh. I mean, they got us. They got us into aspects of his musical and sort of personal life that you know I certainly did not witness. I mean, I witnessed what I saw that slice of his you know development and his um, performances and so on. But there was so much more to him as a musician and um, and as a person of great depth and so on that I had no idea. So we got that from the the people we interviewed and research we did and so on. So we let the story in a in a way, we let it tell itself, but then tried to, you know, emphasize I mean, we could have probably made a five hour movie with no oh, problem. Yes, so it yeah. con- condensing it to to what we did under two hours and just trying to highlight you know, he was both a history of the evolution of rock and roll, I think, as well as the times, as you mentioned, uh, Paul, the political and social things that were going on and, you know, the road to psychedelia, which obviously started with East West and all of that. So oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it, a lot of stuff to cover. Um, well, yeah, that's what I was most interested in because I got the, I saw the synopsis and I, or I saw the picture of him and, and I thought, okay, you know, I don't even need to read the synopsis of who they've interviewed or what it includes. Now, for the audience that missed the review and we can, and please feel free at any time to jump in. Uh, none of this, we, we're not in it to gossip or be personal. So if I mention a name and you would like to uh, discuss something about their interview or what it was like interacting with them, I'm just going to do a quick read through for, to give the audience a context here. Uh, we're going to have interviews and we don't, we're not going to spoil anything and ask what did you do now or what it was used footage. But uh, this is Bonnie Raitt, Elvin Bishop, who, of course, was in the Butterfield Blues Band, B.B. Uh, King. Another important thing of Michael Bloomfield and the Butterfield Blues Band for the audience was also this crossover of uh, African-American and black and white music. And that uh, I remember seeing an interview with uh, Bloomfield where he said, I, I, we'd show up to the Fillmore and B.B. King would be opening for us. And it'd be like, no, no, B.B. can't open for us. Like, B.B.'s part of the reason we do it. So to have Nick Gravenites and, I mean, gosh, Marshall Chess, that is just awesome. Mm. So, yes. so what is, uh, I guess my next question is, what is something that you would like to say about this documentary um, that's not just a you know, a written question coming from a host? Like, what's something that comes to your mind that you just loved about doing this? Well, I think about Marshall. I think about Marshall Chess, and he knew Paul from both sides. He knew him as a friend, and he knew him as a musician, a kid who would hang around Chess Records. He was barely a teen, barely a 19 and 20 when he would hang out in the lobby, and he had through Nick Gravenitis and others, come to not only know Muddy, but to become an acolyte and a friend of his. So when Muddy or Walter or Willie Dixon were recording, they would call down for Paul to come up and hang with them. You know, and it wasn't like, here's the white guy. It was like, here's the guy. Everybody was so colorblind in those days. And, you know, you almost had to be because there were no very few interracial bands uh, at that time. And Paul blasted through that barrier, not really thinking twice about it. Um, so, yes, as you say, Paul, there's an important social uh, context to this. Uh, and there's also, uh, we've tried to hit both the personal side of what Paul really was as a person and what he was as a musician, and Marshall was a, a unique view into that. 
Yeah, well, martial chess, and for all, all of you out there, again, none of this show is coming from a place of uh, snobbery, but uh, chess records, of course, people uh, will just be so quick to associate it as Chuck Berry. But this goes back to that Muddy told Chuck Berry to go talk to martial chess. Otherwise, we wouldn't, you know, it's like the space-time continuum wouldn't be there because uh, chess wouldn't have launched Chuck Berry, and who knows where rock and roll uh, being born would have happened. Now, getting into this, that we're going to get music from, you know, of course, we're going to hear The Wolf and people knowing that uh, or not. Um, that I see here, you have Butterfield's uh, music from, I, I don't know how they're related, but uh, Danko Butterfield. And yeah. uh, this is this is everyone here for for you music fans out there. And Paul Butterfield uh, like you said, I like what you just said, John, because I, uh, when I, when I heard Butterfield, I was thinking of little Walter and I was thinking of James Cotton and, uh, I was thinking of junior Wells. And like you were saying, I didn't see or think this is, I'm, I've been given a record by my music teacher and the guys who sound like Willie Dixon's band are all young white kids. And since he had grown up in Chicago, he could give me that whole background of of what an explosion it, it really was. That this, like you were saying, these these albums are not. Uh, I call I literally call them bombs. It's 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 they're not just something that you take away from. Uh, Sandra, um, a question for you. Uh, what is something that just uh, jumps out for you that you got to see them? live like like well, that you know the, I mean, many many like, years like, ago so I'm right. sorry say again I don't know I was just going to say like that's I I didn't mean to sound like there was no question but the question was like please tell us something about what it was like to see them live that can it was um again many many years ago but it was uh loud it was exciting it was explosive and um you know it was rock it was really in my mind it was rock and roll but of course it was electric blues but um you know where where i used to see them initially before they started playing at the Fillmore East was a small very small club called Cafe Agogo in the village and uh you know you you were right up close and um there's actually a great scene in, in our movie where uh, James Montgomery is sitting in front of a, a speaker at, I think it's at Newport, uh, where they start playing and he says his hair just blew back like that Maxell commercial, like a scarf in his hair because it was just such a whoosh of power that was unexpected. So, yeah, that was, uh, that was my experience as well, and, and I was a big fan. I especially, personally, um, really lived the first two albums. Um, and then, you know, got into other kinds of pop music that were popular then, such as the West Coast sound and the English, uh, you know, people like the English uh, blues, electric blues players as well, and people like 10 Years After and so on. But that's all started, it all started with the Butterfield Blues Band in terms of my, the direction my music uh, adventure took. Okay, because you're looking at, I like how you're saying Fillmore East, because I've gotten to see Buddy Guy at the at the Fillmore in San Francisco. He actually gave me a pick. He played his last note and handed me a pick 
I'll never forget it. If I live to be 90, I'll be, it'll still, <laughs> I can smell it. Um, now, the nature of the blues, of course, for everyone out there is there's, uh, you know, it's seen as maybe obscene or dark or it's happy music. And so this story has nothing to do with the filmmakers. And I'm just saying uh, with Buddy Guy, I felt so bad because I was at the Fillmore and I, I took a hit of weed and I turned around and blew it into the into the crowd. And I look and it was like a 12 year old kid and I blew smoke <laughs> in his face. And I thought, oh, my God, the dad's going to punch me out. And I looked over. I said to him, I'm so sorry. I said, and he looked at me. He said, I don't get to bring my kid to the Fillmore and then expect that the Fillmore is not going to be the Fillmore. And I said, okay. So uh, for for you, John, as a director, um, just to give a little bit of background, because so you guys know, I like to not bring bias to a filmmaker. So sometimes... I'll interview uh, with my interview subject. I want to know as little as possible. So I've had filmmakers say, why didn't you look that up? And I'm like, because I want the fun of hearing it from you. If the director's here, what, I don't care what IMDb says. So was this your first musical documentary or what's your, what's your attachment to being uh, making films and what drives you for this project? No, not my first documentary. I've done many, but this one is unique and is in the incredible range of emotions it has. You know, you go from Paul on top of the world playing at Woodstock. You know, he played just before Hendrix. It was a big deal. He he killed. The sun was coming up. You see him in all that power and glory, and, you know, he was a human, and the show doesn't shy away from that, and he had his demons and you then see him later in the show in the throes of of that and how his friends tried to save him and how you know he tried to save himself and how he pulled himself out and was always able to play but just wasn't able to kind of pull himself out of a a a spiral that was bigger than he could handle so you know that's how this film stands out for me paul is that it really hits all the notes in terms of the human experience if you if you know what i mean oh no i mean well and this obviously uh, is common knowledge, so it's not like it would spoil the film, but uh, what, that's what always frustrated me about Michael Bloomfield was just the sad, tragic way of how he went with the heroin overdose. And I had kind of discovered more of this because I picked up a Michael Bloomfield autobiography, the one that, uh, that where he talks in, kind of in first word and... Santana does the intro. I'm sure you guys read it or have it, but um, there was all these great pictures with Butterfield and it was also how I discovered Charlie Musselwhite because I saw a picture of, it said Paul Butterfield, Michael Bloomfield, and Charlie Musselwhite. And I thought, okay, well, anyone who's hanging out with the, with these two must be cool. And uh, this film has so many personal attachments. That's why I'm such a spaz about it because I was able to become friends with Charlie and he did a song for a a film that I made. And so I have also these stories from Charlie of, uh, of course they're all off the record as you guys know, but uh, of what it was like hanging out with Michael and Paul and, and how they would talk about like, you know, it feels like maybe one day we'll be in history books. Like this is just (laughs) so much bigger than us. That's a great Uh, quote. I wish we had it. (laughs) Yeah, well, it, and it was, and it was Michael's, it was, it was, uh, Charlie told me that Michael looked at him and just said, you know, Charlie, that one day we will, we're going to be talked about. And of course, 
because you've researched and met the people, these weren't guys that were doing it for ego. They weren't doing it to say in 40 years, people are going to be making a movie about me. And so, exactly. um, yeah. And, and, and Charlie, of course, there has the same, uh, a lot of people, uh, as you guys know, but for, for the audience, uh, compare Charlie Musselite not to Butterfield. They're completely different styles, but having kind of come up and trained with the same people, disciples of Little Walter, and one being just some, to me, Charlie can just jump in and out. And like you said, Butterfield is like that. Uh, it's why I love Mystery Train on The Last Waltz because yeah. he is like that choo-choo train, right? He kind of like knocks you down. You don't know if you're going to get up. Uh, for me, um Okay, so another thing with this film, uh, you guys are having the world premiere. So my question is, other than the obvious reasons that as filmmakers we submit, uh, is there something to where, uh, um, why Newport Beach as as the premiere? Like, is there you know, another connection? You know, that's just the way it all. Is there a, oh, okay, I didn't have a connection. Oh, okay, okay. No, really, no. We uh, submitted knowing it was a really important film festival, and they said, yeah, come and show it. So it's uh, so this that's... is the first. We hope it's not the last festival oh, where we get to show the film, but this is the first, and it's it's really cool that it's it's there, frankly. And, you know, the connection with George Nikos, up the, who had the, um, the Golden Bear up the road, is pretty uh, coincidental, and he will actually be attending the premiere, as far as we know. Um, John, you might want to mention who's going to be in the Q and A, unless you already covered that. Oh, yeah, we have uh, Jack Holtzman, the founder and CEO of Elector Records, is going to be there. Whoa, Paul's... whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah, wow. really. Sorry, wow. Like we're talking we're about. We're so also... psyched. I'm... Yeah, you, you, for, so... for regular audience fans, that's the guy that discovered the doors. So sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you, John. Go ahead. I would say, and he had an important hand in, in Paul's career, of course, too. Oh, with yes, Electra. of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, very happy that Paul's son, Lee, will be there, uh, Paul's younger son. Um, so will Buzz Featon, the uh, guitarist who played with Paul from, oh, late 68 till 72 and went on to form uh, Full Moon. Um, Trevor Lawrence will be in attendance. I think he's going to be part of the Q&A. He had a long, illustrious history. Of course, a part of Paul's band broke off to join Stevie Wonder, and he was part of that. Uh, with that tight, incredible horn sound that he had for superstition and that sort of thing. And uh, we expect Trevor uh, to be up there with us, too. And there will be some other names to be announced in the next couple of days. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I, I just want to let you guys know, I I am uh, working on the with the film side of this. Uh, I, of course, we've, we've had celebrities on the show, but we are not into that at all. It's all about people. Um, if Marshall Chess walks by me, I would have to just be like, man, you're Marshall Chess. But other than that, um, I'm, uh, and this is more so the, like we all, like we can all relate here in talking that that's what's so important about this music and please everyone come check this out on Friday at Fashion Island, Island Cinemas, uh, 545. This is, 515. Um, oh, sorry. 515. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm oh my God. Don't be late. Yeah, you, you know what? I I think um oh my god, you got like I'm I have been doing breathing exercises, I have been talking to myself in the mirror, I have been doing everything but like take 
five volumes to be like, you got to be calm so these people don't think you're that boy band female fan that's going to scream, oh, my God. Um, okay, so you, you had all these interviews. Is there something that you can share that doesn't have to do with the film where, uh, and we can do both of you with this question, where you heard the story and for your art you got to go, wow, that is just totally a lesson that I can take and apply to, and apply to what I'm going to do and how I'm going to continue on from this point. Like your great lesson for yourself of, of that moment of, the pro- of making the project. Well, you know, what stuck with me was Paul's generosity of spirit. You know, he truly understood that he had the torch passed to him, okay, by Muddy personally. I mean, he knew how rare and beautiful that was. And he took it upon himself to pass that torch on. You know, even before he was famous, in 61, when Paul would have been 19, just turning 19, a visitor from out of town came in, uh, a kid from Boston that nobody knew. He was a pretty good guitar player. Of course, being a good guitar player, he ran into Paul at some point. Paul was not even really playing gigs yet. He was just kind of learning the harmonica. Met Paul. Paul liked him. They forged a friendship. Uh, it, and it went on to uh, enhance both of their lives from that point on. Of course, they had a great connection with the Quest and Jug Band, which played on countless bills with Paul. Uh, you know, to think of the young, of the disciples that uh, have learned from Paul and play based upon his style, you know, that's the way Paul would have liked it. Paul would love to, I think, hate to speak for him, I shouldn't say that, but it, it's perfectly fitting that Paul served as such a conduit for the blues because he was taught the blues by people that were equally generous to him. Uh, the uh, I know you guys saw it, uh, whether you had seen it or for research, but uh, the first blues documentary I saw was part of that Scorsese series, Fathers and Sons, which was, of course, mm-hmm. based around Marshall Chess. And audience members, this is on um, Amazon Prime. Some of the CDs, you can purchase it. And also, dude, there's a new, I'm, uh, for the educational purposes of this film, there's a new thing called hoopladigital.com. You plug into your local library and you find these films. There was seven films. There was one for Africa, but we'll talk about it's Godfathers and Sons. And it was Marshall Chess and Chuck D. And, and I love, I won't get into this debate, but I love when people say, I get that blues aficionados, and especially when you get those snobby ones who, who think, who will say, you can't listen to Muddy till you've done such and such. And it's like, no. You enter where you enter, listen to Muddy. Like, Electric Mud, I, the first few times I couldn't listen, and then two years later I'm like, okay, now I get it. So this mm-hmm. film, Godfathers and Sons, please check out because it's Marshall Chess, and it's showing how uh, Muddy Waters got it, but that they were inspired by Blind Lemon Jefferson and Robert <laughs> Johnson. And then it gets passed on to these hip-hop guys, and really when you listen to hip-hop, it sounds it's the blues of the street. So... Um, this is about also that, like you said, it being passed on, Muddy passing it on to so many people. Uh, I thought it was crazy when uh, Charlie Musselite was like, there's such a responsibility when the guy who taught you is little Walter um, to not stop or to not change and to always stay rooted. 
Um, I'm sorry, we, we went into, I mentioned that film, but um, the lesson for you, Sandra, what was, what was yours? Because John had said, uh, and then your kind of I don't of know. I don't know if, if it's a lesson exactly, but I, one of the experiences that was really profound for me was the time we spent in Woodstock doing uh, the film shoot up there. We actually rented a wonderful house up on a hill down the road from where um, Dylan used to live, actually. And we interviewed the various people who are still living in Woodstock who were who knew Paul more as a per, as a neighbor and a friend and a a guy who was during that period when he was first up there is a happy you know family man with a lovely wife and a little kid running around and you know they had horses and fields and and his it was just a very serene picture of how he was you know cooking barbecue and hanging out at the pizza joint and all of that. And so just that picture of him kind of, you know, and, and I, I don't know how long he could endure it, but his in, the intensity with which he played was all kind of, you know, subordinated, I think, to this life that he was starting to enjoy up there. Um, and so we got a great glimpse into, you know, how the interpersonal experiences he had during that time really tempered his, um, you know, some of his demons. And... Uh, you know, interviewing people like Happy Trom and Cindy Cashdollar and uh, Joe Forno, you know, who are longtime Woodstockians, um, Cindy born and bred there. Uh, just fascinating uh, look into his life there. Um, of course, things did change after that, and um, I think the, I think his intensity as a musician and uh, the fact that he was really feeling most alive when he was playing the harp maybe made it impossible to sustain that serene life, you know, indefinitely, but that's that's pop psychology and I shouldn't I shouldn't offer that. <laughs> no. I have no idea. Well yeah, I mean but the cool thing as as you guys know, but I that's the beautiful thing about the blues is that it is everything and it is uh it's so tough with music because people wanna label it or generalize it or they wanna you know, the best example is hip hop when they say, I won't listen to Dizzy Gillespie, but I love this. And it's like, well, Dizzy Gillespie was just figuring out what beat works and metaphorically, what instrument went with the composed song, which is just coming up with the lyric and the beat. So to me, it's kind of an all is one thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, East West is not Katy Perry, but um we uh with the with the Butterfield Blues Band, what I what I love about it and I and I know you guys already get this, but for the audience, I'm jealous of people if they haven't heard the Butterfield Blues Band and are gonna get to come out and potentially hear their first note, lick, whatever you want to <clears throat> call it, in surround sound in a movie theater. I remember I took my headphones off a minute into East West and went, I don't know what's going on here and had to wait a little while. And so that's what I love about this music is that it doesn't change. I, I, I got to the point with, with these Butterfield records where uh, all due respect, uh, my, the, a woman I lived with for many years and was with for seven years, she'd be like enough, Michael Bloomfield, enough Butterfield, (laughs) man, like, like, I know you like it. I know it's your thing, but 
you know, if I, if we can't go to Macy's seven days a week to like, you know, look at, you know, look at the things I like then. And so this is kind of like my DNA. I feel like um, my dad's from the Midwest. So this music kind of uh, seeps into me as if I wasn't there. There's oftentimes where I'm, you know, I'm 38 and I've been into Butterfield since I was 23 and I'd get people being like, well, there's no way you can know that, you know, your age and, and how, how can you, you don't know anything about Michael Bloomfield. And it's like, well, I have 12 of his CDs. Um, is there, <laughs> is there something that you can tell us uh, that you want as your mission statement to the younger audience that can stand here on the show and not just be answered at a Q and a, and then go off into the universe. What, uh, for each of you, what do you want the, the younger generation to take from this experience? I, I can tell you already that um, in working on the film, I've uh, come to show some clips from the film or the trailer to younger people who are friends or who have helped out in one way or the other, people in their 30s. Um, and I have gotten so many responses from them saying, you know, I really, I never heard of Paul Butterfield. I didn't think blues was my bag. I, I really didn't, it wasn't music I was interested in. And I, I, I had one guy recently write me an email saying, I thought it was like the Blues Brothers. And I pictured John Bellucci sort of clowning around. And I didn't really take it seriously. And now that I've seen the trailer and some information about the film, I'm suddenly finding myself drawn to this music, and I'm really interested, and I'm going to go listen to it. Hearing that just brought tears to my eyes. I think if we can kind of introduce this music to a generation that didn't hear it, uh, didn't really grow up with it being in their lives, that would be an amazing accomplishment and would bring us a lot of joy. And for you, John? Well, I think what will get through to people of all ages is they're going to realize the guy could play. I mean, the guy, you want to see raw talent on a tiny instrument that fits in your hand expressed musically. It's just in your face. It's just overpowering the, the, the stylistic nuance that he had and the <clears throat> power that he had the instrument and the subtlety. And... Um, I hope that we get that across. You know, I hope that we get across the tender side of, of Paul's playing, the rock-hard side of it. You know, there's a great bite in our film that Sandy found that I don't know uh, if it's ever been seen before, but it's an archival bite of Michael Bloomfield, and he talks about Paul and what a hard guy he was. And, he, you know, mm. he meant emotionally, he meant physically, and he kind of taps his chest to, to indicate that Paul was just solid muscle, and he was. Uh, and when you think of that package carrying that wildly – that wild range of emotions in it through that instrument, um, that's going to, that's going to stick to people no matter what their age. There, yeah, there is definitely, uh, for those, for those that are going to get to see him for the first time, uh, like you're saying, whether it's build and, and I, I love this quote that Michael Bloomfield has in one of the folk festival DVDs where he says, Paul Butterfield is so into the blues that he would like the blues if he was a tuna fish sandwich. Yeah. And, and it's that and famous tuna fish sandwich quote. He yeah, says he exactly, would be the blues right. if he were a tuna fish sandwich. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, uh, for, for me, uh, Bloomfield is the, um, 
I, I just, I, I, you know, like I said, not only the moment, I believe that you're supposed to appreciate your generation and your, but it's like that one thing where it's like, when I visited the chess records building, I just remember thinking if I could have just been a fly on the wall for five minutes. I mean, when I saw that they recorded fathers and sons there, please audience members, there's this album that's muddy and the band is, uh, Bloomfield and Butterfield, and I think it's Otis Fan is in there, and um, I'm not sure if it's Willie Dixon on bass, but then they also have some live songs. But you had Butterfield playing uh, where normally James Cotton or in the old days someone like Little Walter would have played, and you have Muddy's songs, but with that Butterfield edge. And that was one of the coolest albums that I found for myself because I got to understand the way my mentor was 30 years older was coming from a place. And I was, I kind of felt like the, I would never compare myself to the Butterfield blues band, but I felt like spiritually we were connecting at a place of, uh, I I'm the muddy and you guys, and we can experience this together. Uh, do you guys have, let's do a social media plug. Just hit me with all of it. So, and, uh, so people know how to get on following this. Well, you can find us through our website, which is hornfromtheheart.com. And, uh, Sandy, do we want to bring up the Facebook page? Yeah, we have a Facebook page. Um, I think it's just called, what is it called exactly? It's, uh, you find it just by Horn from, from the Heart. Okay. You'll find it that way. Yeah, I yeah, clicked on it last page. night, and I'm going to announce to okay. get some friends to follow it. I wanted to wait till we talk to know what you guys are uh, releasing and, and, and using yet. Um, also thank you for putting it out on social media. So it makes it easy to let your three or 400 friends, um, know, uh, is there, um, just a, a last question here as we kind of wrap up and again, thank you for the time and, uh, for doing this for music. I'm not being dramatic or, we always say we don't tell filmmakers what they want to hear. We don't tell Newport what they want to hear. Um, if there's, uh, when you had mentioned this being the premiere, I know this will, this will go on to many festivals. Uh, please make sure uh, if you feel like it, letting us know because we'll, we cover other festivals all over. We have reporters in other states and we would oh, be absolutely. happy to. Yeah, I know we'd be ha- more than happy to uh, let other cities know, make sure that, uh, you know, uh, I, I, have, I haven't talked to all my reporters, but maybe I have a reporter who's never heard the Butterfield Blues Band and, and uh, we'll get them a ticket. I'll buy them a ticket and they can go out and see your, uh, see your doc. And um, because what I love about this and that I want to say I just respect so much about what you guys did is this perfect balance just off the Newport Beach page. People, again, guys, Newport Beach Film Fest, this will be showing by 15 on Friday the 21st at Fashion Island Cinemas. But for those of you that don't know it as Fashion Island Cinemas, it's 999 Newport Center Drive. Go to NewportBeachFilmFestival.com. There's also a second showing on the 25th, April 25th, that's Tuesday at 2.30. And let me just have the window open. Okay, it is at the same venue, Fashion Island Cinemas. Uh, the added note for those of you 
what's what what's really cool about this film is that this is a movie theater that again this is just my opinion it's not representing Newport or anyone this is one of those movie theaters where it's like 20 bucks to see a movie so it's luxury seats and they bring you your wine at a certain time and you can order food during the movie and you don't have to walk to the snack bar so I absolutely love that we're going to have this film that's about the grit before you guys came on I said where's my catfish plate in whiskey it's 10 in the morning but I, I feel I, it might as well be 4 a.m. in Chicago and I'm waving a flag down. So I am going to be intrigued by that. I've seen most, a lot of your cast live or I have their record, the ones who have passed same thing. And we're going to be seeing something that's about the streets. That's about just putting your bullshit aside and bringing it from the heart in a place that's catered to, respectfully, you need your wine at 12 minutes. You can't just bring your wine with you. So this is going to be a great dichotomy of, of mixing because it's like uh, I, I, at this really nice concert hall here that's for the symphony, I saw Alice Cooper, and it was the most out-of-body experience ever to see <laughs> people in ripped jeans where you usually go in a tux. So I thought, I love that Newport's doing this because it's like, that it's like it's showing that that's the blues. The blues isn't oh we got to show it at, at a rundown theater or we got to have it screening at some local bar that sponsors us. Um, so with that, if 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 there's any last words, because as we as the three of us know or everyone knows, other than that we have stuff to do with our day, you can talk about the Paul Butterfield Blues Band for two weeks and not get tired of it or run out of questions. Is there any uh, final statements? Each one of you can literally have the floor to say what you'd like to say, um, and who'd ever like to start, go ahead. I, I would just say that my favorite quote from the film, and you'll, you'll hear it, is from Marshall Chess, and he's talking about um, responding to the question of what what really drove Butterfield you know, both his, his the heights and the lows. And he, he said, you know, something about bluesmen, I don't know if it's pain or joy, but there's something inside of them that has to get out, and it gets out as the blues. And I just, you know, that comment resonated with me and still, still goes through my mind frequently. That's my I favorite. think of Maria Muldaur's face lighting up when she told us about the lesson that, she learned from Paul, which was to let it out, let it go. She had kind of a small voice. She was a little self-conscious about it. She was trying to copy other people's styles, and he said, no, just let out who you are. Just just don't worry about being pretty. Just get that sound and that emotion out there. And she took that to heart. He was such a star then compared to her, and it changed her life and changed her career. And uh, uh, this film is partly about many people that Paul affected like that. I, I love that you said that because that is the exact thing uh, that that I took. So uh, you, to me, you, you summed that up perfectly um, because I know, I, I, I in hindsight, I know I was given that record at a time where I needed to just stop paying attention to the business end of making films. I needed to stop worrying about the distribution deals I had 
and I needed to just get back to why I was doing it. And East West completely changed me back to, you know what? I'm just going to make movies and hang out with friends and smoke weed. And I'm not going to worry about lawyers and I'm not going to make this about how can I structure and advance my resume. So Thank you for uh, putting it that way, John, because that, to me, that is exactly what Butterfield, to me, does and, and is, is, had to have been his intent and his purpose on a, on a spiritual level, was to just and, put and it out there. And he led by example. Oh, he led by example. That's how he lived his life. He went for it every moment, whether it was learning the harmonica, which he basically gave himself a crash course over the course of the <clears> summer to teach him the harmonica, or whether it was, you know, he went after everything with gusto, and um, and that's, you know, that's part of part of his story. And uh, David Sanborn said he owes his attitude toward improvisation to Paul yeah. just for that reason. Right, right. Well, there's a, and pardon my language again. It's, no, it's Newport knows the show's not censored, but I always thought of I can't remember where it was, but I heard someone that just it was like a quick soundbite where they just said. Paul Butterfield, there's nothing else to say, but he was a bad motherfucker. And I just was, and I thought, you know, I didn't even experience, I wasn't even there, but I, I picked that up just through the tunes. And um, so I'm really excited. I'm, I'm really happy that we get to do this and bring this to people. Um, Not, I mean, the show, not, we were part of the film and, uh, we wish you all the best as you guys prepare. Uh, if you're coming into town from somewhere else, we wish you safe travels. And we are very thankful, the entire team, all of my uh, producers and music fans and blues fans on, that, I, that I work with wanted to extend their thank you uh, for coming on and uh, letting us be a part of um, promoting this. And and uh, having it in our archives. We're very, we're very, very honored. Well, <clears throat> thank you for having us on. It was a pleasure. We're getting yeah, very excited here. Oh, yes, a- anytime, and we'll, we'll be in touch soon about the other ways that we're going to be uh, supporting the film, and I, um, I, I look forward to... Uh, to, um, to uh, seeing you guys Friday, and just uh, I want to say one last thing that uh, I haven't met you guys yet, and this is a total joke, but darn you for how I'm not going to be able to sleep Thursday night. So <laughs> I will take a power nap Friday, so I'm awake, but I already have, I, I cleared my Thursday to be like, I just know that Friday is going to be so awesome. I don't, you know, just this is this is it. So... Um, have a wonderful day and, uh, we'll, we're, we will, uh, we will, uh, get you the link once it's ready in the next, uh, hour or two and we'll have it up on our, on our social media and let's rock and roll from there. All right. Sounds good. All right. All right. You Thank guys you. take care and enjoy Thanks so your much. Day. See you Friday. You too. Aloha. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was really cool and fantastic. As you can tell, 
I'm always excited doing this show, but you guys have no clue. Like I'm here with my tea and I uh, am just in utter gratitude uh, to be a part of this uh, has, uh, I, I don't think we mentioned this is the first time that there's been a Paul Butterfield documentary that's about him. He's in a lot of blues documentaries or he's referenced or he's discussed or um, people know who he is. And, uh, but this is his story and get out there and see it. Um, obviously I recommend both screenings Friday night. Friday night is always a good night for the blues. It's always a good night to just really get in there. Or if you have to see it Tuesday afternoon, it's good anytime. So welcome to, if you haven't experienced the Butterfield Blues Band, welcome to the next chapter of your musical journey, because this is going to flip your lid. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you as always um, for your time your support of our show, the listens are, are going up, the views, the videos. Thank you to Newport Beach. Corey, you rock. Uh, all of you guys that, that are just in constant support of the arts and filmmakers. And this is all bigger than all of us. We all know life is short, art is long. And I'm gonna end it with that. And by the way, Spread some peace in today's world. And no matter what you're doing, whether it's morning, afternoon, or night, make sure and watch a good movie. Get ready for Friday night because we're going to have the premiere of Horn from the Heart, the Paul Butterfield story. Just this being in the film universe is even going to shake it up. Take care and happy Tuesday.